Alright. That's 30 ish. Yeah, even for us, we're, we're pushing ish here. So we're going to go ahead and get started. Thank you for being patient with us as we worked out some. Uh, they used to call it technical difficulties on TV. Um, welcome. Welcome to Boot Cray Baptist Church this morning. Really glad to see, see you all here. Uh, wanted to recognize some special guests, the Moors, uh, who are here all the way from Illinois. Uh, right? Illinois. Yeah. Um, so welcome to them. They, you, y'all may not know because they do not let their right hands know what their left hands are doing, but they have been uh, a supportive and integral part of this ministry for a long time. So I'm deeply grateful for them and their presence here today. Um, a few other announcements as we get going. We are doing uh, small groups this week, Tuesday and Wednesday, both, uh, both up this week. Um, we are headed fast towards the convention. If anybody wants to volunteer, feel free to talk to me about that. Uh, and beyond that, I think that's it. Phil, you got anything? I always forget to mention Shower Friday. Shower Friday this week. If you want to volunteer, if you're in need of anything that we might be able to provide, uh, make sure to come talk to us about how to participate in that. Um, beyond that, I think we are ready to go. Pray with me. Father God, thank you for this morning. God, I've seen many, many of your new mercies this morning already. Lord, I pray that you would come and dwell richly with us this morning. God, that you would make this your, your tent today. Um, God, we do not deserve it, but we know that you are a gracious God who loves long and steadfastly. Lord, and who doesn't find fault. And so we would pray for your wisdom this morning, God, and we would pray for your presence. God, I pray for each and every person who's here today, Lord, that no matter how long <clears throat> they've been walking with you, God, that you would change hearts and minds this morning. Lord, that we would be convicted by your spirit, God, and lovingly turned back from our errors, God, our sins, Lord, and redeemed in you. I pray all this in Jesus' name, and we pray as you taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. I'm going to start with a Paschal greeting. If, uh, no, not there. Is it not there? The greeting. The, like, Paschal greeting. Sounds good. I'm guessing this is, hey, Lewis, come on, man. Do it. Like, that was so. Huh? Oh, no. Come on. 
It's finished. I don't know what I'm doing. Anybody? Uh, no, Pastor. Yeah. You got this. Okay. Cristo, hallelujah, resucitado. In verdad, hallelujah, resucitado. Hallelujah. Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Okay. That's Latin, not Spanish. That's what? That's Latin. Yeah. Really? Don't listen to that. Hey, man. I thought it was Spanish. I've studied Eastern language. Sorry, not that much. Anyway, Christ is risen indeed. So, uh. It's true in every language. <laughs> so let's do that psalm, the responsive psalm, yes. and then we'll read scripture together and pray. Um, I guess, That's yeah. You. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. The Lord, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me in right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life long. The Lord, the Lord is my shepherd, shepherd. I shall not want. Uh, yeah, our first, the reading. Good morning, church. Good morning. I'll be reading from 1 Peter, chapter 2, verses 19 through 25. We are credit to you for being aware of God who will be a while suffering unjustly. You endure when you are beaten for doing wrong, what credit is that? But you endure when you do right and suffer for it, you have God's approval. But to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, no deceit was found in his mouth. When he was abused, he did not return abuse. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But he entrusted himself to the one judge's justice. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that, free from sin, we might live for righteousness. By his wounds we have been healed. For you were going astray like sheep, and now you have returned to the shepherd, the guardian of your soul. Amen. Amen. Yeah. John. John 10, 1 through 10. Very truly, I tell you, anyone who does not hear the sheep by, by the gate, but climbs in by another way, is a thief and a bandit. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he was brought out all on his own, he goes with them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will not follow a stranger, but they will run from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this figure of speech for them, but they did not understand what he but again, Jesus said to them, Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and bandits. But the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters by me will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Amen. 
Let's pray together. Christ, Christ our example, our leader and our way, your voice calls us to follow the pathways of the cross, laying down our lives that we may find true life, eternal and abundant, in you and you alone. But we are lured astray by strange voices, calling us to cling to our own comfort while those around us suffer, urging us to ignore the pain of others that we may not end up sharing it, tempting us to turn away from the cross and the life that it brings, to follow our own path to destruction. For forgive us, O Lord, return us to your goal, that we may be truly and forever your own. Brothers and sisters, believe and have hope. The thief comes only to kill, steal, kill, and destroy. Christ came that we may have life and have it abundantly. Through him you're forgiven, you're welcomed, you're loved. Let us rejoice together and give praise to the Lord, the shepherd and guardian of our souls. Holy, Holy Shepherd, you know your sheep by name and lead us to safety through the valleys of death. Guide us by your voice that we may walk in uncertainty and security to joyous peace prepared in your house, for we celebrate with you forever. Amen.
to join you in your work um, here in this place. Father, would you take uh, that which we have and multiply it for your kingdom work here? Uh, Lord, we want you to be lifted up and exalted in all ways. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness and grace and mercy today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.
to you today and every day. We thank you that you sent your son, that you loved us so much, that you came to the place that we would be able to be with you for all eternity. We pray that you would come to this place and your spirit put into our hearts and our minds today. And we pray that you would speak through the words spoken this morning. We ask all these things in your name. beautiful to see all the kiddos running around. Also, we're going to get Alma to take up the offering every week because uh, she stopped at each individual person like you. You will give. Love that. No pressure, though. Um, good morning, everyone. Please go with me to the book of Matthew. Uh, we're going to be reading from chapter, chapter 3 this morning. Uh, we have been in a series through the book of Matthew for a few weeks now. Uh, but we never really did a full intro, so let's, let's do one now. The first thing you should know, even though it comes first in, as the first book of the New Testament, uh, Matthew wasn't the first account of Jesus' life written and saved. Mark was the first account. And even though we call it the book of Mark, Mark is probably more the testimony of Peter written down by Mark because Peter didn't read or write. The book of Mark came way before the book of Matthew. <clears throat> like John, Matthew waited. He waited until very near the end of his life and ministry to write his gospel. This is something that he had been wanting to say, probably something he had been preaching for a while. So the book of Matthew wasn't written so that people could know about Jesus' life. People already knew about Jesus' life. Peter's message and Paul's preaching had spread the gospel far and wide by the time that Matthew was writing. Neither was the book of Matthew written to argue or disagree with the book of Mark. In fact, the book of Matthew includes large portions of the book of Mark. <coughs> Matthew was written to convey a specific message to a specific people. Matthew grew up pretty near uh, where Jesus grew up in Galilee. They were both Jewish. They were living in a fishing village very far from the capital uh, with all of its connections to Rome. But they were there for very different reasons, Jesus and Matthew. And they took very different paths through life. Jesus was living in Galilee because he and his family had fled for their lives from Jerusalem. We read this account last week. When the king in Jerusalem attempted to have Jesus killed, uh, they fled first to Egypt, and then they came to Galilee intentionally because it was under a different Roman prefect. It was in a different precinct. Just as Nazareth today is under Palestinian and not Israeli sovereignty, they wanted to put some distance between them and all the folks who had tried to kill them as they left the area surrounding Jerusalem. Jesus lived simply. He worked construction with his father, as most refugee immigrants do in our country as well. He loved his people dearly. He helped his community, and he took care of his family, especially after his dad died, and he was the eldest male in the family. Matthew, though, even though he grew up among the same people and in the same area, Matthew went a very different route. By the time we meet Matthew in his own book, he, it's in chapter 9, and he's a tax collector, meaning he decided, instead of helping his own people, to take part in oppressing them likely disowning his own family to do so in order to have more money, a better house, and to rub shoulders with the nobles in the region. 
he was on the so-called right track. It would be hard to overstate how much reason Jesus and Matthew had to hate each other. As a tax collector, Matthew would have been trained to read and write. He would have been able to keep detailed financial records and personnel records. They would have told him that he was smart to make something of himself rather than being mired in poverty the rest of his life, like all these fools wasting their lives, quietly resenting what Matthew had learned to embrace. Marilyn Robinson, in her book Gilead, imagines a character who's the preacher's son in a small Midwestern town. He's an incredibly bright kid, and he starts preaching for his father's church. Eventually, he wants to go to seminary and come back to take over the church as pastor. The, the congregation, the whole community, scrimps and saves, and eventually they put together enough to send him to the best college, the best seminary. And he comes back after however many years to tell the church that he's become an atheist. And he realized in seminary, seminary what a sham it is. And then he leaves the town to take a good job he found in the city because they were impressed with his education. That's who Matthew is before he meets Jesus. He's a really smart guy with a good job who made all the right choices, but there was a cost. Something's missing. Notice I said Matthew doesn't even come into his own narrative until chapter 9. That is a beautiful confession from him. Jesus calls the first disciples way back in chapter 4, chapter right after the one. We'll be reading that next week. By the time Matthew's writing this gospel account, he's devoted his whole life and ministry to following Jesus. But his confession is he missed it at first. He was so convinced of his own right track, so drunk with his own perceived success, that he missed life and truth as it was happening all around him. Between chapter 4, when the first disciples are called, and chapter 9, when Matthew begins to follow Jesus, you have the Sermon on the Mount, you have lepers being healed, even Roman soldiers, even those who weren't Christ's people, beginning to follow him and believe in him as their God and Savior. Demons are cast out. Jesus calms a storm and proves his lordship even over creation. And then we get to chapter 9, and Matthew writes essentially, while the world itself was changing all around me and heaven was breaking through, there I was, sitting in a tax booth, working for the very empire, ruling over my people. And he writes, Jesus walked right up to me in this hell of my own making and calls me to follow him. Jesus had every reason to hate this man who had betrayed him and the whole community. You know, in, in today's terms, you know, he had not just voted for all the politicians that his friends hated. He had campaigned for them. But Jesus decides, instead of condemning him, to save him. Jesus calls Matthew and then brings the rest of the disciples to Matthew's house to eat, which causes a controversy to explode that never quite settles down in the rest of Matthew's account. Jesus crossed a line that no one on either side had ever even wanted to cross, much less had done it. Poor folks and rich sellouts. Part of Matthew's confession is that Jesus ruined his reputation just by calling him to follow him. Ruined his status as a religious teacher by coming to his house to eat. Jesus ruined his political career to make peace with Matthew. And Matthew did the same. After leaving his booth that day, he, he never could have gone back to his career. All of his friends would think he was nuts for walking away from a good job to go follow some preacher across the country. 
They would have talked about burnout, how he must have cracked under the pressure, and how they wouldn't make the same mistakes. But in Matthew's eyes, that day was the day that Jesus saved him from all of those choices that he had made. Matthew wrote this book to himself and to everyone like him. All the Jewish people who were struggling to accept that Jesus was actually the Messiah. Everyone sitting in a little booth collecting a paycheck while everything worth living is happening around them. And they aren't there for it. Throughout the book, you're going to see Matthew focus on parables and miracles. He's going to quote the Old Testament constantly because he's writing to folks who trust it. And in all of that, he's trying to do for his readers what Jesus did for him. He's trying to call them out of their little booths, wherever they're sitting. In the midst of our daily lives, so often spent in busyness, just making ends meet, he's trying to call us instead to follow Christ. And in doing so, to actually live in him, rather than slowly, slowly dying on our own. Still today, Jesus is willing to ruin his reputation in the world by calling even folks like me, even folks like you, to follow him. And if we do, we, we may ruin our reputation along with him, but we'll finally be truly living. So read with me, Matthew chapter 3. I'm going to start in verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now, John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and honey. And then Jerusalem and all Judea, in all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, <clears throat> he said to them, You brought of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in the hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Pray with me briefly. <clears throat> Father God, I pray as I always do. Lord, just that no matter what I say, God, that what you administer to us is your truth and your word today. 
God, because we know your truth will set us free. We desperately long to be free. We pray this in Jesus' name, so we know you hear us. Amen. Some of y'all may remember, we preached on this passage several months ago when we were talking about uh, the practices of the church and what makes us Christian, because baptism is a big part of what makes us Christian. We talked about how baptism didn't start with John. Uh, Judaism at the time, as, as it is still today, is, is filled with ritual wash washings. But what sets John's baptism apart from these? You may have seen this in the text. He says it explicitly. Matthew mentions it. He says John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. People were coming to John in order to confess their sins. And this washing was meant to last a person a lifetime. Which is strange if you think about it, isn't it? And I want to I ask, ask too many questions this morning to help us understand this passage. One, if John's baptism was a baptism of repentance, why does Jesus, who is sinless, enter into it? That's one question. And, and second question, if John's baptism is a baptism of repentance, and if, to quote Luther, all of a Christian's life is meant to be one of repentance, why do we only baptize people once? In the Christian church. Why is this not a lifetime, lifelong, repeated ritual in Christianity like communion is? I'll start answering these questions just by saying the second question is going to be answered by the first question. Uh, we are baptized once in Christianity because Christ, being sinless, entered into our repentance, but we'll need to do some work to unpack that statement. I know that doesn't make a whole lot of sense at first. Most ritual washings, if you're studying other religions. Most of them are repeated. In Islam, you're meant to wash every time you pray, which means you are ritually washing yourself not once a week, but six times every single day. Um, in, similarly, in Orthodox Judaism today, you, you ritually wash your hands multiple times per day, and several times throughout the month you fully immerse yourself in order to purify yourself uh, or before major festivals as a means of purifying yourself and making yourself clean. I don't know about you, but uh, I've sinned since I got baptized at the age of 23. Uh, maybe it didn't take. Or maybe, just maybe, Christ being baptized changed what baptism means for everyone who came after. I'm going to give you a, a simple answer to why we're baptized only once in Christianity. And then I'm going to dive a little bit into into the mystery of this, give you a more mysterious answer to the question of why Christ enters into a baptism of repentance. The simple answer is that baptism is a ritual <clears throat> celebrating our entrance into the family of God. And once God adopts you into his family, he will never let you go. And no matter how badly in our pain and brokenness we act out, he will never reject us from his family. As, as a foster parent, as an adoptive parent as well, this is something that's deeply important to me. The reality that once we're adopted by God, that we are his children in truth and everlastingly. I had someone the other day say something to me that internally upset me, although I, I try to give people a lot of grace with this kind of thing because I know it's complicated. But someone said the wrong thing to me about my kids. We were talking through ages and how our sons adopted and how two of the kids are in foster care. And she asked me whether or not we had any children of our own. 
And I forget exactly how I responded, hopefully graciously. But the reason it upset me was that I had just told her about our kids. And our adopted son, he is a child of our own. And I will do anything and everything in my power to make sure that he knows that in his bones and in his blood. There's a new Christian song that upsets me for the same reason. I gave Jake a heads up. I was like, hey, don't play this song this week. That would be very awkward. Because uh, I'm going to talk trash about it. Um, <laughs> there's a, a Christian song that makes me, uh, it upsets me for the same reason. You'll probably think I'm silly because the songwriter is not trying to make a theological point with this. It just fits with the rhythm of the song. And I know that. But the song quotes John 3.16. And it leaves out the word begotten. Hmm. So in the song, it says, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And as we're singing this at a large event, it was the first time I'd ever heard it. I wanted to put my hand up and say, I am a son of God. In truth, he died to make that true. He is a good father who makes no distinction between the children who are adopted and the one who is begotten. Very simply, when we are baptized and adopted as children, of our Father in heaven, his relationship to his only begotten Son as a whole is gifted to us. Even if the heavens don't break, don't break open over our baptismal pools, right? The same message is spoken over you. This is my son. This is my daughter in whom I am well pleased. And it happens once in Christianity because nothing you could possibly do would change that truth about you, would change the way that God considers you once you're his. The love of the Father for you does not change. He does not adopt children based upon their character or their actions. It's only based upon their need for a family and his love as a father. And so it is with you. If you, no matter what age, are a child in need of family, run to God, our Father, for in his house there are many rooms, and his love covers a multitude of sins. The entire life of the Christian is meant to be one of repentance, but we are brought into the family of God only once, declared righteous and beloved by God only once, because it is everlasting by the unmerited grace of our Father who is in heaven. Amen. But then we still need to answer the first question. The more mysterious question. Here also we need to draw a sharp distinction between the Christian baptism on the one hand and the other ritual washings of other religions that I mentioned earlier. Which will help us to understand John's message to the Pharisees here in the first part of our chapter. You brought a vipers, he says. A viper is a snake that will go into a bird's nest and eat the bird's eggs and leave its eggs in their place. And so the mother hen watches over the eggs only when they hatch to be devoured by them. That's what John the Baptist is saying the Pharisees are to the people of God. False children who are devouring the rest of the children. The Pharisees of that day ritually washed themselves over and over again to make sure that they remain clean, not just physically, but spiritually as well. The rituals themselves were in keeping with the law, and so the rituals were good. But in the hearts of the Pharisees, God's good law became perverted into a form not of seeking God's righteousness to cover them in confession, but showing to the people around them that they were keeping 
the law. It was a form of showing off their own righteousness. It became a way of showing everyone that they, to quote one Pharisee, had kept the law from their youth down to the letter. And in so doing, they perverted the law. John's baptism was the opposite of that. John's baptism was a confession. As Paul writes, the law of God is meant to lead us to repentance. It's meant to show us the perfection of God and the right response of a human who looks into the righteousness of God is not to be proud of our own life and our own choices. It's to say, along with the prophet Isaiah, woe is me, for I am a person who is unclean and my friends are unclean. John's baptism was a confession that we are sinful. And when he sees Jesus coming, he discourages Jesus from entering into his baptism. Look at verse 14. John says to Jesus, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? He's objecting. Jesus Christ is the only person who didn't belong in the Jordan River that day. Jesus had no sin. And this was a baptism of repentance, plunging fully underwater to acknowledge the curse common to humanity, to admit that you are one of the damaged people, vulnerable, in need, John was right. Jesus didn't need to be baptized like this. He didn't need to confess anything. And he didn't need to be forgiven. Jesus doesn't need to be baptized. But we need him to be baptized. Mysteriously, this is Jesus intentionally entering into the curse of humanity in order to turn it back, in order to redeem it. Jesus' baptism gives meaning to our own. Jesus doesn't need to enter into baptism just like he didn't need to enter into humanity. Just like he doesn't need his people to enter into the pain of the world. And he doesn't need his church to care for the vulnerable. He's not doing this because he has to. He's doing this because he loves us. And if he doesn't enter into our curse, that curse would cover us. And we would drown in the overwhelm of our own sins and sorrows. In Jesus' baptism, he enters into the story of God's people as they pass through the waters of the Red Sea and wander in the desert, the same desert in which Jesus wanders and is tempted after this passage. In his baptism, he enters into their story, and he enters into our stories in order to redeem us. I would invite you this morning to trust and believe that if you ask God to adopt you into his family, you are as much his beloved child as anyone around you, as much beloved as any pastor, as any churchman, as any saint, wildly, truly, as beloved as Christ himself. Christ's life, his relationship with the Father, has been gifted to you. You may not deserve it, you don't deserve it, but it has been given all the same. You are his beloved child. And in you, he is well pleased. There is a reason why we get baptized when we first start walking, start believing in faith, in God. Because that message is spoken to us without anything that we do. It is not dependent on our actions. It is dependent, again, on the love of the Father and our need for a family. If you're like Matthew this morning, and you see Christ at work in the world, but you are still sitting at your desk, you are still sitting in your booth, Christ is calling you today to follow him. 
You may have every reason in the world to ignore him, to hate him, to stay on the other side of town, but if you let him, he will come and eat at your table. And if you are in need of repentance this morning, I would invite you to come into the waters and confess that you are one of the sinful people, that you're one of the ones who's in need, just as I am. Pray with me now. Father God, I don't understand this grace that you have given me. Lord, to be your son, God, I do not understand the kind of love that even before I was born would speak over me that I am a beloved son and that you are pleased with me. God, I so constantly strive. God, strive for your approval. Lord, strive to be good enough to deserve your grace. God, and that is foolishness. It's the same lie spoken in the garden that we have to try, that we have to do anything to obtain your image, God, when your image is in grace given to us right from the very beginning and never able to be taken away. God, I pray that you would preach to each of us our belovedness in you. God, for those of us who are outside without a family, God, orphaned and lost in this world and wandering, God, I pray that we would come to you if you are standing and waiting on the road for us to turn to you. God, we pray all this in Jesus' name so we know you hear us. Amen. Y'all, I would encourage you, each and every one of you, to respond in some way to the Word of God, to the truth of God today. Allow the Holy Spirit to change your hearts and mind. I would encourage you to pray. I would encourage you to pray, perhaps even with the people around you or with me this morning, um, or just to stand and sing in praise of our Father.